Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Appreciate you being here. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings. For the last few weeks, a couple weeks, we've been looking at the thought of perspective and the, the desire or the plan is for us to see life through a biblical worldview. The last couple weeks, we've talked about how new life provides new perspective. New life in Christ. When the old things are passed away, and behold, Paul said, now all things become new. Uh, we continually grow in newness. We see things differently than the world. Now, there's been a lot of news this week, and I'm trying not to make jokes and get us off topic but as we see classified documents arise in a number of locations by our favorite president, as opposed to classified documents that were discovered by some other people's favorite president, when one was a president and had authorization to classify, the other was a vice president and had no authorization to classify, not to mention what they found was probably evidence of him lining his pocket with a country that now we're giving billions of dollars to. Have I said enough? It's funny how when news breaks, perspectives are made evident. I'll stop. I was um, reading some jokes, some good biblical jokes about perspective, and it is obvious as we grow that we understand our perspectives change in life. Uh, I've said before, nothing changes your perspective in life like having children. It's funny how you used to know how to raise children, and you could tell everybody else what they should have done, then you're like, oh, that's not really how that works. Um, it's not as easy to beat them and not go to jail as you thought. <laughs> there were two men, each on the opposite side of a river. One man said to the other, how do I get to the other side? And the man said, you're on the other side. <laughs> Perspective. For a few of our engineering friends in here, the optimist says, the glass is half full. The pessimist says, the glass is half empty. The engineer says, the vessel contains twice the required space for the volume present. <laughs> it's all in how you see things. And I am convinced that new life does change our perspective. We think different. We respond different than the world, than the, the unbeliever. When I say we, I'm speaking of believers. And as we look at the first five verses of the entire book of the Bible this morning, I want us to view the Word of God as the absolute foundational truth to provide us with a biblical view of God. Would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? While you're standing, I will, I feel obligated to say this will not be an expositional sermon on the first five verses. However, I think when we read the first five verses and put them into context, it begins to provide a biblical view of who God is. It all begins in the beginning. 
Verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I want you to notice verse 3, the beginning and the end. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We'll see this a few more times in the other verses of Genesis chapter 1. But from verse 3, from verse 1 it begins, but in verse 3 our minds ought to um, get engaged with the reality that nothing like this has ever happened before. And nothing like this will ever happen again. That God said, let there be light. And there was light. In verse 4, and God saw the light and saw that it was good. By the way, he created light and there was light before there was a sun or a moon. Now don't get, don't get tied up in that the rest of the sermon, if that's the first time you've ever thought about that. He didn't create the sun or moon until a few days later. But he created light. Because he said, let there be light. And there was light. Now today, if we would have preached that 50 years ago, that would have sounded different. It was a different perspective. Today we can say, Alexa, turn on the light. And there was light. <laughs> or, Alexa, tell me a joke. And it's always hilarious what she tells. But we're not talking about 21st century technology. We're talking about the God of the universe who can speak things into existence. God saw the light was good and he divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning, the reason I chose these first five verses, was the first day. In the first day of creation, almighty God said, let there be light and there was light. He divided darkness and light on the first day. And there's some days to follow. Father, thank you for your word. I pray today that we would be open and receptive to be taught by your spirit and your word who you are. God, for whatever reason, there's a variety of reasons. Believers in this room, those watching online right now, those hearing this message later, there's a no doubt a variety of reasons people need to be reassured, reminded that you are God. and You are all-powerful and you are in control. And that it is absolutely essential for us to see you for who you are in order for our Christian biblical perspective to be appropriate. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have defined perspective as the capacity to view things in their true relation, how they really are. In the last week, I told myself and us and reminded us that there's always at least two conflicting worldviews. I have found myself saying in life that there's always at least two sides to every story, sometimes more. In life, there's always at least two conflicting worldviews, even in which side of the river you're on. People have different ideas of where they're at. We have been reminded or made known that believers, Christians, born-again believers view the world differently. We view life differently. We view it as God's goal, God's desire for believers to view life and the events of life through a biblical worldview. I have realized, and no doubt many of us have realized, when we try, when we, when you, when I, when we try to make sense of things from our perspective, it seemingly never makes good sense. Now, if you think you're right on everything, I don't know anybody like that, but if you think your opinion is always right, and you probably don't have that issue because you're like, that's my opinion, that's right, and everybody else, they're just stupid. But from the most serious events in the world in your life to the, the minuscule 
overlooked experiences, when we look at them through a biblical worldview, it changes our perspective. As we look at this idea of perspective, seeing life through a biblical worldview, I believe, and I started intentionally with the change of heart, the change of mind that results in a change of action, which is repentance and regeneration and reconciliation. That's essential for us to have a new mind, a new outlook, new belief system, new opinions, new perspective. I think second to it, not that it's in priority, but we have to have, foundationally, we have to have a biblical view of God. Understanding who God is is essential for a believer to even have the ability to view life biblically. A proper understanding of who God is begins with the Word of God. Theology, the Word itself, is the study of or the view of God. Theology is different than ideology. People have a lot of ideologies about God. I don't know if you know what an ideology is, but you see the root word is idea. An ideology is a person's view or idea or a collection of their ideas about a subject. It's not only a personal, ideology is not just personal, it can become corporate, where groups uh, have an ideology. Churches have an ideology. Denominations have an ideology. And we can create ideologies, heard that word enough now, about God. This is what we think about God. It's what the Baptists believe about God. It's what the Catholics believe about God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe about God. It's what I believe about God. But she believes this way, or he believes this way. Those are ideologies. Now, if you will agree with this, either by amening or grunting or not walking out, this will make the rest of the sermon a little easier for us. There is only, y'all ready? There's only one true theology. There's only one true or truth about the view of God. You say, well, there's a lot of people in here with a different view. I'm glad you said that, or at least thought it. Those are ideologies. Ideologies can be accurate. But I know me, and I know a lot of you, and if we all throw our ideologies together, we're not going to all agree. So someone, here's where the bad news is, someone's wrong. It's not me. And you're thinking the same thing. It's not me. So we must understand that ideology is different than theology. And, and we might have some of our theology, some, see how I said that, our theology right, because it aligns with God's theology or biblical theology, biblical view of God. Every now and then we'll get it right. And we'll give ourselves a nice little golf clap. But a lot of times we get it wrong. And here's where I'm going, by the way. Time out, quick 20-second time out. We're studying the book of Romans on Wednesday night. This is a good time to interject that. Somebody's wrong on a lot of different levels. But I'm all right. I can be wrong. I, 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 I joke about this and I say this because I always come back with people when they say it because I have to perspective. Uh, some people, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, what in the world? and I'm like, you, you silly, shallow, professing believer. You're going to be so overwhelmed that you'll never think of that question again. Right. But then I say something like this. At some point in heaven, we're going to all find out we were wrong on something. Now, I don't know if we will, but it works for me to say that, to say, Somebody missed it, and we'll all have our theology straightened out when we get to heaven. And you won't be mad that you were wrong. 
So one of the ways we can, can, we can get together and we can be in unity here is to understand that we're not all right all the time about God. But we do have a source. And this is his word. We're all singing from the same songbook. Now, your perspective of what it says might be different than mine. And it might therefore create an ideology that may or may not be accurate, but is potentially incorrect. Because your understanding and my understanding is quite different than God's. His ways are higher than my ways, Isaiah said. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. They're so high, I cannot attain it. As I've already referred to Psalm 139, the psalmist talks about the power of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God. And then he says, I can't figure this out. But he relished and he gloried and he praised in the reality that God was all of those things and that it was his God and his God was for him. And it's good to have that kind of God on your side or to be on his side. So that's enough of the ologies. Viewing God biblically means that we see God based on the facts of his word and not the fallacies of man's wants. Now, every now and then I say something I like that I didn't steal, and that's one of them. Someone else may have said it, but I didn't read it anywhere. God gave it to me, and I underlined it, and I want to see that on social media sometime shortly. Viewing God biblically means that we see God based on the facts of his word and not the fallacies of our mind or man's wants and man's desires. One of the problems in American religion, American Christianity, American theology today is that we want a certain type of God. And it's hard for us to align with the God of the Bible. Now, I'm not going where some of you are thinking or hoping or praying I don't go right now. I don't know, but I feel like I'm reading minds and there's a lot of different minds I'm hearing. Y'all do know I'm psychic. Okay. Okay. It's in my family, if, you, if you're new. It's hereditary. I'm trying to stay on task and not just get off. But one of the breakdowns, one of the detriments of the American church is us, as people, our believers, our professing believers, who want to convince themselves that God is not as righteous as he really is. Now, that was, a, that was a step above where I could have said some things. So you have to play along with me. God is holy. That's going to be next week's sermon, but that'll be point three of a four points. Today's one and two. We're not there yet. God is holy. God is righteous. He is immutable. There is no changing he is a God of wrath. He is a God of judgment. Yes, he's a God of love. That's going to be the fourth point in the four points that'll be next week, three and four. He is gracious, but he is holy. And he has spoken his word. He wrote some of it with his own finger. The rest he spoke through prophets. Holy Spirit filled Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. We believe it or don't. Doesn't make a difference in its relevance or his trueness. That's important. I don't think that's true. I'm sorry, you're not the authority. There's only one authority, and it's the Word of God. He said, well, does God really mean that? If he says it, he means it. But we've created subcultures and subgroups in the American church where we identify and turn it into denominations or certain churches or, oh, the infamous non-denominational, which becomes a denomination. We say, well, we don't believe like that. And, and here, and I'm just going to be honest with this, we don't want to believe it. We don't want to believe that God judges sin. 
We don't want to believe that this sin and that sin and that sin is just as bad as that sin and that sin and that sin and that God hates, abhors all sin and that God will judge all sin. God has judged all sin. So is it, do you think, I know, I know the, the looming conversations, but I don't want to just get there. But it's, it's in our churches where people are asking questions. Well, if this person lives this way and has this lifestyle, does that, what do you think? I've, you ask me what I think, get, sit back and get some popcorn. <laughs> if you ask and were dumb enough or entertaining enough to ask me, sit back and relax. I've got opinions. But my opinions, my opinions ought to align with the word of God. And even, I don't want to call anybody out, but just this week I had a church member come up to me and ask me this question. I won't tell the question, but it's if a person does this and this and this, are they going to go to heaven when they die? Well, I'm, I'm hopefully bright enough to figure out that, and this is the Joel Osteen answer. I'm sorry I have to answer. That's between them and God. Ultimately, everything is between them and God. All right? But if a person is actively living not just that lifestyle that's on everybody's frontal lobe right now, but lifestyles of sin, claiming to be a Christian, but they're living daily in the lifestyle of blatant disregard for God's word, that's not representative of a born-again Christian. And then the, then the, the theological questions. Well, what if they're backslidden? Can they be backslidden? Absolutely, I believe they can be backslidden. But here's the question of all questions. How long is too long to be backslidden? Now, there's not a verse for that. Thou shalt not be backslidden more than two weeks, or thou shalt be considered lost. That would be great. I would love that verse, because we could just turn to it. Two weeks, how many? It's been 15 days, lost. We know it. But it's, that's not it. But at some point, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We have to, we have to long. Here, here's, here's a good answer. Here's a good answer. Now, don't, don't take this wrong. If someone's living a life that is, the, is an, in an, an antagonistic, sinful life to God's Word, here's a safe thing to do. Let's assume they're lost. And let's speak to them and treat them and encourage them and pray for them as they're lost. Then, then guess say, hey, you're lost. Did you know it? You're going to hell. I don't care what you say. That's not what I said. We approach them as they're lost because they're living a life of sin. And we go back to the old, you know, pray for Billy. He got saved when he was 12, but he ain't been in church for 40 years. Pray, pray he, he gets out of his backslidden state. At some point, we've got to come to grips with Billy ain't backslid. Billy's lost. 40 years, I don't need a verse to say backslidden for 40 years is too long. I don't need that. You might need that. But I believe when we're born again, the Holy Spirit takes up an abode in our heart and in our life, and he convicts us. There's a, I'm way off topic, kind of, but it's biblical teaching about God. And that if we reject the Holy Spirit's conviction enough, there will be consequences. When we start to create a picture of God based on what we want him to be, surely he wouldn't send ABC religion to hell when they grew up in a home, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, anything but true biblical Christianity, surely God, if it's true that everyone will stand before God, one day, surely the God of grace and love wouldn't send a person who grew up in a Muslim home, who adapted and applied Islam to their life and they lived it out, true to God of Islam, but stood before the God of heaven, the creator, surely he would honor them for their faith, even though it wasn't the right faith. 
You say, that sounds crazy. That's what you should think sitting in the Southern Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. But that's not what your neighbors think. That's not what your coworkers think. That's not what this world thinks. That's not what a lot of American Christianity thinks. Well, what's the result? We preach the gospel to the world. You're not living in the first lifetime where there were multiple religions. This was happening in Exodus. This was happening when God called his people out. There were ungodly, anti-Jehovah religions. And it's not the first time where professing believers were affected by the other religions. Y'all with me? Well, I love my neighbor. I love my coworker. I love that student that sits beside me in math class. I care about them. They're a friend of mine. They're nice, but they're Jehovah's Witness or that they're Buddhist or but they're Catholic or but they're, oh, I shouldn't have said it. They're a lost Catholic. Um, They're filling the blank. I don't want to think, and you're right, we shouldn't want to think. But that's our thought. That's our ideology. But what God's word says is you must be born again. That Jesus is the only way to God. It's not what we said. It's not what I said. It's not what the Baptist faith and message said, although they do. It's what the word of God says. We can get soft and we can allow the world's theology to affect our theology. And then we have a, a wrong theology about who God is. Y'all ready? I want us to look at four points, today's point one and two, of seeing life through a biblical worldview, a biblical view of God, and we're going to find it in verse one of the Bible. Y'all ready? The first one's easy. The truth is, God is. We're going to look at four realities of God. God is. Now, this one, this one ought, to, ought to be quick and easy and painless. From the very beginning of the word of God, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter one, we see the reality that God is. In the beginning, God. How are you gonna get a whole point out of that? The first four words of the Bible establish a single truth that the remainder of the Bible is based on that there is a God. There is a God. This truth also establishes the reality of God and that he existed before there was a universe. Before there was anything. He is preexistent of creation. He is also self-existent. God existed before there was anything. There was nothing but God. What is nothing? There's a way to break it down. It's it's no thing. It's nothing. No thing. Perspective. Ask your son or daughter after going to school for seven and a half hours where teachers are paid to educate them, and they come home from school, what'd you do today? What'd they say? Nothing. That's another definition of nothing. It's the eight and 12-year-old's definition of nothing. Surely you did something. Nothing. How do I never spot where my daughter's at? Oh, she chose to go to children's church today. She just does what she wants. Okay. Some of you heard me a Wednesday night ago say that, um, basically, I won't bore you with the details, but randomly on the way home from church a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, I asked my daughter. It wasn't because she was in trouble. I was just asking, did I say anything that resonated with an eight-year-old and she might could regurgitate one word I said? I mean, 50 minutes, give or take a few. Surely you can remember a joke I told or I messed up, something. You know what the answer was? Nothing. Now, she didn't say, I don't remember nothing. Her response was, nothing. You don't know anything I said? 
Nope, nothing. All right. Jonathan Edwards, you know Jonathan Edwards? Not personally, Jonathan Edwards said this. When, when he asked what nothing is, he said nothing, nothing is what sleeping rocks dream of. Now talk about a brilliant mind there. Who even thinks of that? Sleeping rocks dream of. Someone saying, do rocks sleep? And if they do, do they dream? Exactly. There was no time, no space, no light, no darkness, nothing but God. God is. It teaches us, this truth teaches us that God is not dependent on the universe, but that the universe is dependent on God. I say this, and Colossians talks about Jesus, who is God, uh, keeping things consistent. God really does have the whole world in his hands. This thing, this world, this universe is controlled by him. It don't seem like it. Oh, he's in control. He is sovereign. It's his creation. Genesis 1-1 confirms that God is the main character of the Bible, you English majors. God is the first subject of the very first verb in the word of God. You, you scholars, just chew on that a while. The rest of us, we'll just move on. This word God in Genesis 1-1 is the word Elohim. Interestingly enough, it's Elohim, I am, is how Elohim ends, which even from the very beginning indicates a plural of majesty. It could be, it probably is, most likely is an allusion to the Trinity in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. Elohim. A plurality of royalty. Maybe that's why God said, let us make man in our own image. Who else was there? The Trinity. Now, we would be kidding ourselves to believe that everyone believes in God or believes that God exists, especially when no one has ever seen him. John tells us that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So how do we believe in God? By faith, by faith, oh. How did Abraham believe in God? By faith. How was Abraham considered or counted righteous by God? By faith, by believing God's word, by believing something that he couldn't prove, that he had never seen, and he couldn't even understand. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that without church, listen, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's not all that verse. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In order to please God, you gotta please him by faith, and part of pleasing God by faith is believing that he is, that he exists. Not a God, the God. Creator God, Genesis 1-1 God, God is God. Y'all ready? God is. Number two, God is creator. Now this is the hour portion, so sit back and relax. Just kidding. God is creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. As we learn God in verse one, existed before there was anything. Therefore, there was nothing for God to create from. There was no thing, but yet God created from nothing. The Hebrew word, you've heard it before, you've read it in the study Bible, X E X. Nihilo, N-I-H-I-L-O. Genesis 1, from the very beginning, teaches us that God created from nothing. The other Hebrew word there is also an Italian sports car, fiat. That God created nothing simply 
to use God simply, simply by speaking it. Now, most of us are believers here today, but we could probably, probably, if, if, if our minds weren't occupied with lunch, calendars, kids getting on your nerves, who's gonna babysit tomorrow, bills need to be paid, you get the point. We could probably, if we could clear our hearts and minds from all of the complications and clouds of next hour, we could probably sit back and just marinate, focus on the truth that we've already been taught, that the God we serve, now church, I know this is so foundational, but a lot of times it gets so, it's so foundational, we just lose the value in it. That as a born again Christian, we believe the God of Genesis 1-1 is the only true God who loved the world, grace and mercy enough to send a savior, and we got all the salvation over here, but we could sit back as a believer and just resonate in the reality that the God we serve, who is unchanging, he's still the same God, is a God who can speak things into existence. So, but that was like 66 books ago. 66 books in the Bible, 39. That was a long time ago, preacher. Is he God or is he not? You hear, you hear what, what you're hearing right now is not that it's 12 o'clock because it's 20 till. What you're hearing right now is, let me chew on that a second. Because I've... I'm reading minds again. Because I've never seen him speak anything into existence. Now, our, our carnal, futile, little bitty minds go to this. Somebody's in here. Don't raise your hand. Don't look guilty. Somebody in here is like, well, I sure wish he would speak a big check into my mailbox. <laughs> Somebody's thinking that. There's another church in Texas where that happens, but not here. And we automatically start to put the burden on God for mistakes we've made. All right, so let's we're eliminate that. The point is we're serving a powerful God. And just to say powerful God sounds so elementary, sounds so pre-K from a, a pastor with a few degrees to say because he's God and he's all powerful and he's so powerful he can speak things into existence. And here's the question, can he still do it? Absolutely, he's still God, he's immutable, he's unchangeable. If he needs to or feels the desire to, he can. Whoa, that sounds a little unbaptist. I'm not sure what it sounds like other than Bible. That's, that's our God. That's your God if you're a born-again Christian. And I'll tell you what it'll do, it'll change your perspective and it'll change my prayer life when I get a little glimpse that the God I'm praying to can speak things into existence. Surely if he can do that, he can meet my little needs. He spoke things into existence that didn't exist because there was no material, because there was no thing. Verse three, let there be light. Guess what? There was light. Verse six, and God said, at the end of verse seven, and it was so. Verse nine, and God said, end of verse nine, and it was so. Verse 11, and God said, end of verse 11, and it was so. Verse 14 and 15, and God said, end of verse 15, and it was so. That's God. That's the creator who, as Augustine referred to, was a divine creation, was a divine fiat. That div divinity spoke everything into existence. Now, I have to stop. 
because I've, I've got kids and I taught kids and I know kids. I just know some. So we have to clarify sometimes if they just woke up and heard that, we have to clarify that they didn't create the new 2023 Corvette, that God didn't create that. Some of you are trying to be spiritual right now. Well, he created everything that is, so get with me. In Genesis chapter 1, he didn't create a Corvette. But God created the universe and all the materials that were necessary to eventually, a few years later, man to create a Corvette. That work out? Now, what I've just tried to teach and preach about the supreme power of God and how it was manifest in creation of the universe, light, darkness, stars, energy, comets, plants, water, land, seeds, all this is in verse one. So how did how he created the earth with seeds in it? That's what it says in Genesis 1. Now, I also believe it teaches that there were, anyway, I'm not going to do that. I'll blow some of your minds. You're like, you're crazy. All I do, I know this. Um, why not? <laughs> when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, in the very beginning, it was a mature tree producing fruit. Whoa, that must mean creation was not daily. Must have been a thousand years before each one. God created literal 24-hour days, and he created earth with maturity. Within the first week, there were trees that had pomegranates on. The, the forbidden fruit was a pomegranate, for those of you who don't know. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Now, while you're letting that settle in, I don't have a problem, this is just for fun, I don't have a problem with some PhD scientist telling me the earth is 40,000 years old. Y'all play along with me. I don't have a problem with some PhD telling me that it's 26 million or billion years old. Somebody's wrong. I don't have a problem with that. It ain't, it ain't gonna change my mind about creation. I don't need to get in an argument with a PhD that this rock that they pulled out of my driveway is eight million years old. And it happens, by the way, I used to have a professor that would send that kind of stuff off for carbon dating. He'd come into class, he'd say, this came out of, this is gravel out of my driveway, and they said it was 10 million years old. Do you believe that? Carbon dating's crazy. Try it. Send some money, send it in, see what they say, you're Rocks in your backyard, how old they are. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the earth being mature. God spoke it into existence, and there were trees with pomegranates on it. There were also two humans that he created, not as infants, but as grown adults. So why would we sit around and waste our time thinking, well, the earth can only be 5,962 years old based on the word of God? That's crazy talk. You're not figuring that out. Now, you can figure out history. You can do a history timeline and kind of get close to maybe 6,000 years. And then you get into eschatology. It's like, we're in the seventh year, and that's the perfect year of God. Something's going to happen this year because we're in the seventh, so no, old seven, seven, holy seven. (laughs) Psalmist says, by the word of God, the word of the Lord, were the heavens made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, he gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses that all the earth fear him. Why? He's creator. That all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That's us. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's God the creator. Some people say, well, that's hard for me to understand. You're coming along. Good job. You're recognizing you're not God. Well, that's hard for me to explain. Good job, because you can't. Then there are people to say, well, that's just hard for me to believe. 
Now, now we're where we need to be. It is hard to believe. You've never seen anything like it since David Copperfield. <laughs> Made the Statue of Liberty disappear, but you can go see it today. You figure that one out. I can't believe that. That's hard for me to believe. Now I want to throw this out and you can amen or you can point to people or whatever tomorrow. There are people that say, it's hard for me to believe that God existed, pre-existent and self-existent and he created the universe, the stars, the planets, energy and all that was needed to make a Corvette, that God did that by simply divinely speaking things into existence. There are people that say, I have a hard time believing that. And I would say that some of the same people that say they have a hard time believing that will believe that lightning struck a pond and made a single-celled organism turn into a frog. Yeah. Honestly. Or that a monkey one day was sitting on a limb and poof, a human was there eating a banana. <laughs> the same person who says it's hard for me to believe in a pre-existent, self-existent God who spoke things into existence but I'll believe that lightning struck a pond and a single-celled organism turned into a fish, which turned into a frog, which turned into a lizard, which turned into a duck, which turned into a human. Now I'll stop and just say, let's suppose they halfway believed that lightning struck a pond that electrified a single-celled organism to turn into something more complex. Now, at least everybody in here over the age of 27 learned some of that in school. Some of these possibilities. One of them was a duck, I remember. I remember seeing a chart where ducks turned into humans. That's why some people's lips are trying to, like that. That's what they say, I don't know. I remember seeing a chart where ducks, I saw it, I remember seeing a chart where a little tree monkey and then he turns into a, right? And some people confirmed that that's a possibility based on their looks and appearance and the way they act and bathe and shave or not. But here's the question that a seventh grader ought to be able to ask. Don't get any ideas, kids. Let me just throw it out here this way. It's still a theory. It's a theory. It's a silly theory, but it's a theory. You say, some, some, some little carnal kid in here said, well, creation's still a theory too. I'll give you that. But I got more proof of that theory than you do yeah. of a lightning bolt striking a pond and turning a single-celled organism into a more complex organism. Because here's the question you ask, and here's the question you grown-ups and all of us ask. Where did the stinking lightning bolt come from? Where did the pond come from? Where did the single-celled organism come from? You ever seen a single-celled organism? Yeah, I, li I love microscopes and science back in my day. I like to see amoebas. I like to look at the protons and the electrons and all those fun things. I like to look at the, nu the nucleus and the mitochondria and all that kind of stuff. Whoa, he's crazy, yeah. They exist, but somehow they got here. They don't have an answer. There's always a creator. Anytime, anytime some PhD tells you this happened, this happened, this happened, say, where, where did this come from? There has to be a creator. And we have an answer in the word of God, an answer to your theory that provides a little bit of defense for it. But yet, it is difficult to believe but my Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. I am convinced that there's a ton more faith needed to believe in monkeys turning into humans than to believe that God created. Ton more faith into warts or moles on frogs turning into eyeballs. This stuff is published. People have written books with this stuff in it. And they don't even have a book that says that some crazy God did that one day. They just make it up. My retirement plan is to write a book with a bunch of crazy thoughts, teach it at a university, and force them to buy the book. That's how it works, right? You buy my book. That's my textbook. Now you've got a steady income for the rest of your life and just giving crazy opinions. I love it. 
I got a lot of crazy opinions. As creator, God is sovereign. He is authority. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is in control. Jesus gave us some examples of this a couple times. By the way, he's God. I love these examples. I, I, I was reading this and I kind of got excited this week. I wish it wasn't seven minutes till, but as creator, he is sovereign over his creation. Now listen to me. He created all that we see, but he also created us. He deserves the reverence of authority and sovereignty. He controls this thing. So why don't he do something about those boxes in that garage? Can't answer that one. We can laugh about that, but man, I'll tell you, if you think about it more than about three minutes, you get in prayer quick. Like for the love of everything, holy could Kamala, oh, what do we do? Y'all know who Kamala is, right? Now, I'd like for her to be in this audience because she would laugh her head off at everything I say. She's a laugher, there's no question. Side, I got distracted. In Mark chapter four, you don't have to turn there, please don't. Jesus is God, Jesus is God in the flesh, he's God incarnate, he is all authority, all power, he is sovereign, he is God. And in Mark chapter four, I love it, you know the story, you know the illustration, uh, they're passing over on the Sea of Galilee, the storm comes up, Jesus is asleep uh, underneath, and they say, hey, wake up, we're gonna die, don't you care that we're gonna die, right? And Jesus gets up and um, he says, peace be still. He spoke to the wind and the wind ceased. He spoke to the sea and it got calm. You've heard that before, right? What was their response? What in the world? What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? I'm gonna say it this way. That creation listens to him. He's creator. Jesus comes down to the Sea of Galilee one day. I think it's in Luke chapter five. He comes to the Sea of Galilee. There's a crowd wanting to hear him preach. There's a random boat here. There's some men over there washing their nets. They're ticked off, and if they're good fishermen, they're probably cussing. All right, just kidding. Um, <laughs> ain't caught nothing all night, all right? They're over there, boat's there, and um, the people are pressing against Jesus. It's almost like the, the crowd's so big he's running out of room. And he says, hey, hey who's, oh, that's Peter over there. Oh, Peter, Simon, hey, I'm getting in this boat, you're gonna push me out. He pushes him out and he speaks to the crowd. Uh, some of us have been there, some of us wanna go back to where this kinda happened, it's pretty cool. So he's speaking to the crowd and um, when he gets done, he gives the altar call and like people get saved and stuff. I don't know what happened there, but he didn't. So he finishes and he looks over at Peter and he says, hey, let's push the boat out deeper and cast a net. If you know anything about fishing, I mean, most of you still fish with a cast net, right? I'm just kidding. And then you're out there washing it. It's, it's this web of stuff. You're having to wash it. Are y'all really out? A cast net, and you're like, it works funny. You pull it, and it draws up. And, and a lot of times it would not. And so they were washing their net. Day's over. We fished. We can't call anything. And Jesus says, um, hey, let's push the boat out further and cast your net. Peter's like, ah, we ain't fit. We fished all night. We caught nothing. Oh, we were washing the net. Now you're going to tell us, but since you're God, this is in there, Luke chapter, since you're Jesus, we'll do it. That's what he says. They go out and they cast, and you know what happens. They caught nothing. No, they caught so much. The other boat comes out. Their nets are breaking. They fill both boats full of fish. But the fishermen have been fishing all night. They probably didn't hit the right spot, I know. We know that happened. We read it in Luke chapter five. But do you know the response? Have you ever caught the response? Peter in Luke chapter five, verse eight, falls down at the feet of Jesus after this and says, basically, get away from me, God. I am a sinful man. It wasn't because he got caught cussing because he didn't catch anything. What happened is when he got a perspective of who Jesus was, 
When we get a perspective, a proper biblical theological perspective of who God is, there'll be a response. And Peter's response was, oh God, I am sinful. Get away from me. Romans chapter one, Paul addresses this. And he says, basically creation has demonstrated and established the fact that God exists. Even the eternal Godhead. Not that there was just some grand watchmaker who made a watch and wound it up and let it go. Paul says in the book of Romans that the world has been made manifest and known that God exists, his eternal Godhead, even in creation. And you know what Paul says? Every time the world is introduced to the creator, every time the world is introduced to God, every time a person on Sunday morning is introduced to who God is, it will always promote a response. I'm all right, don't need you. Or, oh God, you're God, I'm a sinner, get out of my presence. In Romans chapter one, Paul tells us that the world was made known about God, but they rejected him, and in essence, eventually chose to worship the creature rather than the creator. I'm gonna tie this up in a nice bow if you'll play along. There are people that worship trees. I'm sorry, there are. There are people that get upset when a tree gets cut down because squirrels have no place to lay their heads. And I'm sorry, that's the reality. But that's not necessarily exactly the problem. The problem is when people are introduced to God and introduced to proper theology, they choose rather to worship the creator, the creation rather than the creator. What's happening, especially in the American church, is the creation is a new theology. The creation is a new religion. The creation is a new denomination. The creation is a new ideology based on who you want God to be and not who God really is. And yeah, there's some nutcases worshiping nature. Yeah, there's some nutcases worshiping anti-fossil fuels or whatever else. But what's wrecking America and what's gonna wreck the world and what's gonna wreck the nations is that God has identified himself as creator and that people are rather choosing to serve a God not of the Bible and of their own opinion instead of the God of the Bible. And they're allowing a lot of stuff to take place and saying God's all right with it. And he's been very clear he's not all right with it. Proper theology is understanding who God really is, not who we want him to be. What Christianity really is and not what we wish it was. As we move forward to the coming of the Lord, this is the kind of stuff that's gonna wax worse and worse. So what do we do? We don't drop back and punt and change our mind and change our ideas and do something new and try to get some people in here. No, we just double down on the word of God and say, we're gonna stick with it. Preach God as God. Preach Jesus as the savior of the world. Preach the gospel. Believe it by faith. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God is so evident and so clear. If we just trust in you, you have an answer. And God, I pray today you convict our hearts. If we're not careful, we individually will allow our ideology to affect our theology. If we're not careful, churches will allow their corporate ideology to affect theology. I pray that you discipline us, convict us, that we never allow that to happen. I pray for churches around us that are Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches, that they don't allow the world, the flesh, the devil to interfere, that they would keep standing strong. Double down on your word. And God, no doubt, some Christian has been encouraged today by the truth of your power, your sovereignty. And I pray that that encouragement would result in us praying differently, believing differently, trusting differently. For that man or woman, that family, that parent, that teenager, 
who's struggling today and they need something. They need you. They, they know they're born again, but they need a manifestation of your power. I pray today they would be encouraged to trust in you to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what they could expect. And lastly, I pray there's a lost person here today, someone who's never been born again. They don't have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I pray today that they would see you not just as creator, but as sovereign and sovereign savior who wants a relationship with them and has provided that through your son, Jesus, that if they would trust in him, there would be reconciliation. You would bring them into a right relationship with you. And as we pray today, I, my desire is that people respond, trusting you as savior, trusting you as sovereign, trusting in you to do what only you can do. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.